I want to bring this message that is simply entitled, Keep It Simple. You may want to put that in the chat box or the comments. Keep it simple. The Apostle Paul, and it's one of my favorite verses. Mind you, I've got a few of those. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 says this, and he's speaking out of great concern for the church at Corinth. He says, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Your mind may be corrupted by the simplicity or from the simplicity that is in Christ. The coronavirus has altered our social existence in ways that we can observe and I think in ways that we full, are yet to fully realize and yet to fully perceive. And even after a vaccine is found to defang the virus, society is going to feel the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 for decades. I think we will recover quickly. I think there will be great opportunities that come out of it. But it's the aftermath of this is going to go on for a while. And the world is complex and has become increasingly complex as we try to navigate the circumstance. We've all had to adjust our lives dramatically and the way we do life and the way we do work. And we're still trying to navigate that. And it's kind of like hashtag, it's complicated. And I know that's usually a reference to when people don't want to speak about their relationships. But I'm using it in the context, it's complicated what's going on in our lives. And the pandemic is not just affecting one city or one region or one country. This is something that the whole of humanity is experiencing. All over the world, it's like a World War kind of impact of upheaval and change and, and the impact that it's having on our life. And into this kind of craziness, the Apostle Paul has something to say about keeping the simplicity that there is in Christ. Let me read that passage again from the Passion Translation. Now, please bear with some of my craziness just for a moment. Yes, please be patient with me, Paul says. But now I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, so your thoughts may be corrupted and you may lose sight of your single-hearted devotion and pure love for Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. Paul is not suggesting that life is simple, but that in the middle of craziness, you can anchor your life to the simplicity that is in Christ. And I want you to get that. Life's complicated. It's complicated. Things are going on. We're adjusting, as I've mentioned. But there is a simplicity in anchoring your life in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't let your mind get corrupted. Don't let your thoughts lead you into places that are dangerous. Come back to the simplicity that there is in Christ. See, he's saying that the main thing about following Jesus is following Jesus. And we need to keep the main thing as the main thing to anchor your heart, your life in the simplicity that there is in Christ. 
a simple thing in a very complicated world as we deal with very complicated personal, social and global issues. And so I want to suggest four things that just boil it down to the simple things in Christ. Number one is just to love God. And I want to start talking about that point, not in terms of you loving God. We'll come to that. I want to start with reminding you how much God loves you. I love this passage out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, where Paul says, Even before he, that is God, made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault or blame in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. I hope you caught some of those words and I just want to remind you of them that that before you were created, before you could do anything, God saw you, knew you and chose you. He chose to love you and he chose you for himself. He decided in advance. So it's nothing to do with your performance or my performance, how good or bad or otherwise. He just loves us. And the minute you're in Christ, you're chosen. And God's love is all over you, wrapping you in his arms, embracing every aspect of your life. I want you to notice that he wanted to do this. And the scripture says it gave him great pleasure to love and to choose you. Uh, Did you get that? He chose you. And he knew what he was getting when he chose you. He knew the good, the bad, the ugly. He knew the failures, the flaws. He knew the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the great things, the potential. He knows all of that. Nothing about your life catches him by surprise. And he still chose you because it gave him pleasure to do so. He said, I want you. And I want you to catch this. God's love towards you is enormous. He doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. It gives him great pleasure. And maybe you're watching this and you're not in a right relationship with God. At the end of this talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your life right, to connect with God who loves you and he's choosing you and he's reaching out towards you. John, who experienced the love of Jesus in an extraordinary way, he was called the beloved disciple, says this in his epistle, a letter that he wrote much later. We love him because he first loved us. And so when I talk about us loving God, we need to first come to that place when we realize how much he loves us that he chose us. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He loves you and it gives him great pleasure to love you. And out of that, we begin to love him. Make space in your life today to just experience God's love. Slow down a little bit. It's one of the simple things that will anchor your life with extraordinary strength. The second thing, and Paul's big on this in his letter to the Corinthians, is to practice generosity. 
Simplicity rep represents a significant theme as Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He's fighting for a relationship. It's been somewhat tempestuous, their relationship. They've misunderstood some things. There's been some bad behavior on their part and Paul has had to correct them and then they reacted and now he's writing back again. But he comes to this ongoing theme throughout 2 Corinthians about keeping things simple, the simplicity that is in Christ. And in the first chapter, he introduces us to this thought of the simplicity he says, the testimony of our conscience is that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely towards you. He says, our behavior towards you, our behavior in this world is to keep it simple and to have godly sincerity. And that theme of godly sincerity, of simplicity, goes on throughout the book. I'm not going to reference every single one. But just as he conducted himself with simplicity and sincerity towards the Corinthians, he calls them to the simplicity of giving and receiving. He spends two whole chapters, the longest discussion on generosity, on giving in the whole of the Bible is found in these two chapters, chapter eight and nine of Second Corinthians. And I want you to notice, he brags about a church that is in the midst of a crisis, of a trial, probably not dissimilar to the kind of upheaval. It was a different circumstance. It was a different reason. It was actually a famine. And he says of this church in Macedonia, in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. I want you to catch this. These are people in the midst of a severe trial who felt threatened under pressure, but because they were anchored in the simplicity of loving Jesus and Jesus loving them, they said, we still want to be generous. We still want to be givers, not just takers. And I want to encourage you in that to continue in your generosity. Yes, financial. Yes, in your tithes and offering, but in your generosity towards others, in your generosity and how you do life in this rather strange period that we're in. It says that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And these words don't really seem to fit together in a normal sentence that people in a very severe trial can overflow with joy and out of their extreme poverty become incredibly generous. I love the generosity that I'm seeing all around. And I'm talking about bigger than financial things, although that is an expression of generosity. And I love the fact that our church is a generous church. You just saw the care arm and some of the things we're continuing to do. That's what you're giving into. But I've been touched by the generosity of neighbors towards each other, helping each other, the kindnesses. That's generosity as well. And there's a story that touched me uh, immensely this week, uh, both, uh, it's just wonderful. I'm going to share it with you. One of our field workers, our families, uh, we're in Vietnam. 
when this started to unfold and the husband, Josh, had come back for an operation on his ear that then got postponed because of the coronavirus code of 19 crisis. And Rachel, his wife, was trapped in Vietnam with their kids. Well, finally they got out. Um, they got an emergency flight, uh, thanks to the Australian government and others helping them to get back into the country, but immediately went into quarantine in Melbourne. And we, Linda and I, FaceTimed in and had a chat with Rachel with the kids. And they were in the, quite a nice hotel overlooking the Yarrow River. And she tells the story, because I asked her how she was doing, just keeping her sanity in a hotel room with three kids. And she said, oh, they get fed, but there's a knock on the door. They're not allowed to open it while somebody's there. They get, bring their food in. And she said, the thing that I want most at the moment is just a vacuum cleaner. Three kids eating and nobody comes in to clean the room, understandably, because they're in quarantine. But she said one day uh, while they were in the quarantine, uh, a helicopter, a police helicopter flew past. And the kids went to the window and waved. And the police in the helicopter came back and hovered right outside the, the window. And the kids just broke into a flossing thing. I'm not going to do it, but I believe there could be a flossing competition. I'm not talking about teeth either. It's a dance move. There's going to be a flossing, fl flossing competition a little bit later. And I was just touched by that kindness by the police in that helicopter who just took a moment. I'm sure they were doing very important things, but they made the kids day. That'll be a memory that those kids will have forever. But it's about generosity. Paul's talking about an extreme trial under pressure, still being generous. And they took up an incredible offering to help others who are in crisis. And it happened because of one thing. It comes back to the simplicity that there is in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5, they went beyond our expectations. So they excelled in their giving. They went beyond our expectations. Having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. And this issue of generosity, of giving financially and otherwise, is anchored in the Lordship of Christ. And you, you've got to decide, is COVID-19 going to be your Lord and make decisions for you out of fear, out of anxiety? Or is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? And out of that, you make decisions to serve, to be generous, to continue giving as you are able. The third thing that I think is simple, number one, God's love and experiencing it and then loving him back. The second thing is this extravagant generosity. The third thing is we need to continue to strengthen our relationships. And given the strange nature of this crisis, it's not just the threat of sickness, it's the threat of isolation. And I spoke a little bit about this last week. We were not meant to be doing life alone in isolation. And hear me again, we need to obey the government regulations of social distancing, but social distancing should not become relational distancing. And thank God, I mean that literally, we've got all the technology, whether it's FaceTime, Zoom or other Skype, all those things that we can use to actually connect with each other. And there are challenges for us at the moment. There are some single people who are locked in isolation and it's a struggle. It's also a struggle for married people who are locked 
and wish they could be a little bit more isolated on occasions. I'm just speaking about some of the real stuff of doing life, working together and all the rest of it. Many of you, like me, have spent so much time on Zoom, having meetings across the world, across the country uh, with our team. And the other day, I just felt completely Zoomed out. Maybe if you feel like that, you can make a comment on like, Zoomed out. But don't stop connecting. Don't stop using Zoom using FaceTime, using to connect. We need to see each other's faces. We need to remain connected. Don't let social distancing become relational distancing. You see, the biblical account of how human beings flourish is grounded in the idea of love. Love for God and love for your neighbor, love for one another. John says this in 1 John 3, 18, beloved children, Our love can't be an abstract theory. We only talk about, sorry, let me do that again. Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory that we talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Look for opportunity to love people, to express your love, to be generous, to be connected. Don't zoom out. You may be exhausted by it, but don't zoom out. The rules about shelter in place and social distancing have drawn us more inward and we need to fight against that. Even you introverts need to fight against that and stay connected. Stay connected to family, to friends, to work colleagues as best you can. And we must be courageous in this. We need to be bold in this, not by violating government instructions, but learning to cultivate communion with God and our neighbors in a fresh and a new way. That will require some forgiveness. It will require some patience. It will require you to put up with some things and not react to everything. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.2, with tender humility and quiet patience. Always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. And if you're in the room watching this with somebody who's tried your patience this week, keep your elbows to yourself. Be kind. There are going to be things in this lockdown, in this isolation, where we're going to try each other's patience. But Paul gives us instruction to be generous in our love, generous in forgiveness, generous in kindness as we respond to one another and keep loving one another. And so let God love you and love him back. Um, Practice generosity, strengthen your relationships. And finally, I just want to finish this by saying, The thing that keeps it simple is choosing to trust God, to trust Jesus with everything that's going on in your life. You see, COVID-19 has exposed our vulnerability as human beings. In our modern society, we have expended so much energy pretending that we are immortal, pretending that we can control our world and our circumstances. And one virus has turned that upside down and on its head. 
We're a little bit like the story of the king who wore no clothes out of pretense, thinking that he looked glamorous, but he was being deceived. We've done that to ourselves, pretending that we're in control of our world. This virus has said we're not in control. This virus has said you cannot manage everything. This virus has said you are not immortal, but we know one who is. John Lennox, who is Professor Emeritus at Oxford University in mathematics, said this, and I love these words. He said about this current situation, it is a tale of two crowns. The so-called coronavirus that looks like a crown under the microscope and Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you've got to decide which king, which crown is going to make decisions in your life. Is the crown of the coronavirus going to make your decisions for you? Yes, we've got to respond to things. We've got to be healthy. We've got to do all of that. But is it going to be the Lord of your life? Or will you continue or for the first time to say, no, I'm going to make Jesus Christ King of Kings and Lord of Lords in my life? It's a simple challenge between two crowns, COVID-19 or King Jesus. John Lennox has got a great thing up on YouTube, where to find God during COVID-19. You may want to look that up and watch it. But Proverbs says this, chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on Him to guide you, and He will lead you into every decision you make. Become intimate with Him in whatever you do, and He will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. And I want to encourage you to lean into your relationship with Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Read that passage of Scripture. Maybe begin to memorize it in whatever translation suits you. I just read it there out of the Passion Translation. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. Will all your heart rely on him and he will guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him wherever you, in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Do not think for a moment that you know it all. I said earlier that as I concluded this message, if you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd give you an opportunity to begin to put your trust in Him. Right now, I'm sitting on a stool and I trust it. I don't trust it a little bit, kind of doing this or this, or just like, oh, I hope. I actually sat on it and I trusted that it would hold me. It's not a great illustration, it's not a perfect one, but it's kind of, that's what we've got to do. You've got to sit back into your relationship, rely on Him. Let God love you, forgive you, cleanse you, begin to give plan and purpose to your life. The Scripture says, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will experience salvation. <music> 